welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series six and episode number 10. And this is the faith of a Canaanite woman. This story is recounted in Matthew and also in Mark, but we're going to look at Matthew's account, which appears in Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28, which we'll just read in a few moments. This is a remarkable incident and uh, takes the story in a really different direction from where we've been uh, in previous episodes. But series six is now coming towards a conclusion which describes the third tour that Jesus made of Galilee with lots of dramatic events which we've been looking at steadily as we've been going through the narrative. Uh, starting of course with that great moment when the apostles were sent off two by two, Matthew chapter 10, parallel passages and they toured around the whole of Galilee, had a big impact as far as we can tell, many miracles and many people receiving their message. Then we had the execution of John the Baptist. That was a dramatic and rather sinister event from the point of view of Jesus and his disciples. And uh, then we had the great event of the feeding of the 5,000 and all the things that followed that, the Jesus walking on water, the discussion in the Capernaum synagogue about Jesus's identity. And then in the last episode, we looked at further conflict with the Pharisees. A very difficult uh, encounter took place between uh, Jesus and some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem and they were targeting him with trick questions about the obedience of his disciples to different uh, religious laws and traditions that they followed. They were trying to trip him up and Jesus counterattacked to basically say that true faith wasn't about external rules and regulations so much as a change of heart, that God worked from the inner person outwards rather than from the outward person inwards through rules and regulations. So looking at all those events, we can see a number of interesting things that lead to um, a quite sudden and unusual action that Jesus took in this particular episode. We can see popularity at the feeding of the 5,000, but we can also see that popularity beginning to decline. People are beginning to drift away from Jesus. They were troubled by some of his teaching, as recorded in John 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, and troubled with uh, his uh, teaching about dying for the people and being raised again. They really wanted a, a conquering Messiah to uh, overturn the political system and bring a new era of peace and harmony for the Jewish people. So Jesus' popularity hangs in the balance just at the moment and there are some strong indications of a rising tide of opposition. There is of course the very clear action of King Herod Antipas who's now killed John the Baptist and of course the question arises what will he do to Jesus? He is the political ruler in Galilee. He's got easy access to Jesus. He's got his own army. Uh, there's all sorts of things that he could do uh, against Jesus. And then, of course, the conflict with the Pharisees and the religious establishment is very severe. They have already ruled Jesus to be a false messiah operating by demonic power, and uh, they're now continually attacking him. So Jesus is under pressure, not only from the crowds, but also from opposition. It's been an intense experience. And when he traveled over 
from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other in order to go to Bethsaida, in order to get some time out. The crowd followed him and uh, then he fed the 5,000 people on the mountainside. That didn't work out as a real break. He just spent a few hours in solitude on the hillside uh, before returning back to Capernaum. So for a second time now, in a fairly short period of time, Jesus decides to take a break and to withdraw from the public uh, eye, so to speak, and from public ministry. He's obviously tried to do that once earlier on, but the crowd followed him. This time he is successful by and large in doing that. And this is the story that we are going to read today. That's the context. And of course, during this period of a retreat, uh, getting out of the public eye, uh, Jesus makes a surprise encounter uh, with a woman with great needs who asks him urgently for help. And that really is the issue and the story that we're going to talk about in this episode. So Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Well, this really is a very unusual situation. Jesus quite deliberately is taking time out. He withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is an area which is called Phoenicia. It's north of Galilee, north of Israel. It's a Gentile kingdom. And Tyre and Sidon are two of the major cities. They're both uh, on the Mediterranean coast. And this area was not populated by Jewish people and outside the region of Jesus's direct activity. So it's fairly obvious that if he goes to Phoenicia or to Tyre and Sidon, then he's trying to get away from his public ministry. In fact, in Mark's account, he goes even further and says in Mark 7, verse 24, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. So he really was trying to be in private. Now, this reminds me of the plight of modern day celebrities who are followed by the media everywhere. I'm sure this is something you're very familiar with. 
and their privacy is reduced to an absolute minimum and sometimes it hardly exists at all because wherever they go people find out they're there and they want to know about them, they want to photograph them, they want to meet them, etc. Well, for different reasons, Jesus suffered from a similar type of difficulty. His reason was tremendously great impact of his ministry, tremendous popularity, huge geographical coverage. People had come from far and wide to uh, hear him speak and to experience his miraculous powers. So he chose to go north to Phoenicia. This area is roughly equivalent to the modern day nation of Lebanon. This lady is called a Canaanite woman, which basically is another way of describing a Phoenician since there was no particular country called Cana at the time. And Mark's gospel uh, identifies her as a Phoenician lady. So we now need to think about this lady. Jesus is obviously going to get some recuperation and some rest, maybe to teach his disciples and to train them for the next period of their ministry. But his presence is discovered, particularly by this lady, presumably discovered by other people, but we don't hear about that at all in the story. We just hear about this one woman. Verse 22, a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. There are many interesting things about this particular situation. First of all, she was very clear, even though she was a Gentile, that there are evil spirits in this world. And she attributed her daughter's illness, whatever suffering it is, which we're not fully clear about from the narrative, to the oppression and the dark powers that were coming against her. This was a common belief in all ancient cultures that evil powers existed that were operating against mankind. And uh, in that, they had a similar belief to the Jews. Now, the interesting thing is, why did she come to Jesus when she heard he was there? She must have known quite a lot about him. And she also called him the son of David, which is very, very interesting. So here is a woman who knows quite a lot. Interestingly enough, in Mark 3 and verse 8, in an earlier situation, Mark describes the fact that uh, when there were large crowds gathering in Galilee, they came from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. So this district, Phoenicia, is identified in Mark 3 verse 8 as a place from which people came. So we can imagine that many people would have paid a visit to Galilee to see this Jewish prophet and healer called Jesus of Nazareth. Was this woman one of those? We don't know. Had she heard about this? Most certainly. Was she convinced that he had some power to help her daughter? Most certainly. But as a Gentile, without any Jewish background and not a follower of the Jewish religion as far as we know, she seemed to possess 
a very clear view of who Jesus was. Not only did she come to him directly, not only did she obviously know what had gone on in Galilee from people who'd come back to Phoenicia from there, but she addresses him um, very interestingly as Lord, son of David. She's one of the first people individually in the Gospels who are described as using this title. Although Matthew does describe in Matthew 12, verse 23, the response of a crowd to a, a, an amazing miracle as asking the question, could this be the son of David? Now, other people later on in the narrative use the terminology son of David, like blind Bartimaeus and others. And it's used when Jesus enters into Jerusalem in triumph, uh, when they welcome him, claiming him as the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Now, this isn't just a, a general title. Every time we've come across this title uh, in our episodes, uh, we've just paused for a moment to remember the significance of the title, and we'll do that again in subsequent episodes when the same title comes up. But Son of David is a very powerful title, and it indicates a belief that King David with whom God made a special covenant that he would have a permanent uh, monarchy or dynasty, 2 Samuel 7 verse 16, that King David's descendants would ultimately lead to a descendant who would be a, a king like David, but an even greater king who would be a Messiah, a religious leader for the nation of Israel, for the benefit of the world. So that generic belief existed amongst the Jewish people and they were always looking for this son of David. They were always looking for this Messiah. No one had been ruling on the throne of David as king of Israel in the old-fashioned Old Testament sense for hundreds of years. And they were waiting for that moment. Now, to some extent, this Canaanite woman must have understood that. It seems very strange that she uses this expression, such a Jewish expression, she didn't just call him teacher, healer, or a more common title. She called on him as son of David and also as Lord. Now, this term, which trips off the tongue for us very easily, indicated um, real respect and possibly an, an indication that, um, or an understanding that uh, this was the son of God himself. So this lady had a lot of understanding of who Jesus was. How did she get this understanding? We don't know. This point is very rarely noticed when people comment on this passage. But this woman wasn't a Jew. She wasn't in Galilee. She wasn't living in any part of the land of Israel. And uh, therefore, we need to ask questions. How did she know all this? Maybe she was one of those people who are described in the New Testament as God-fearers who look at the nation of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the Jewish scriptures, and they are drawn to that faith. And so they study the Old Testament. Maybe she's one of those people who has done that. We can't answer these questions fully, but it's really interesting to try and work out what motivates this woman who comes with such clarity, such urgency, and such determination. And she really did need that determination because Jesus tested her faith. Some people have been quite troubled by the answers that Jesus gave her. 
So let's read them again and let's just see what is going on as Jesus appears to be testing her. So as she cries out to him in verse 23, it says, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to a woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed at that moment. So what's going on in this situation? Jesus is literally testing her sincerity. He's waiting to see if she gives up when, first of all, he's silent. And secondly, he states that his mission primarily is to the Jews. And that is something the disciples understood, because when they went out on their first tour round Galilee, as recorded in Matthew 10, in verse 6, uh, Jesus particularly says, verse 5, Do not go among the Gentiles or to any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So the priority at that point was to the Jewish mission. And he's basically saying, my priority now is to the Jewish mission rather than to the Gentiles. But she pressed on. And he also said it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. The dogs is a derogatory term for Gentiles and she may have understood that uh, to be the case. So he tested her by apparently being rude to her and putting her off. But quite suddenly in verse 28 he said Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. He then respects and honours her because he sees that she's not willing to be put off by anything. She genuinely believes who he is, Lord, son of David. She genuinely believes he's the Messiah and she genuinely believes he has the power to heal her daughter. And indeed, her daughter was healed at that moment. It's a remarkable story. And this woman's determination is, is a tremendous example to us. And it, it's interesting how sometimes the Gentiles in the New Testament show great faith. I wonder if you remember the centurion, the Gentile centurion, the soldier who pleaded with Jesus to heal his greatly suffering servant. And Jesus said of him through his persistence, that he hadn't found such faith in all of Israel as was expressed by that man. And we could say something similar of this woman. It was really outstanding faith that led her to uh, put her trust in him and plead with him so urgently. So what can we learn from this rather unusual and intriguing story in the Gospels? First of all, I want to just reflect a little bit about the question of holidays and taking a break from the routine of life and the pressures of uh, giving to other people. 
I have no doubt that this represents Jesus's deliberate attempt to take what we would call a holiday, not in the, exactly the modern sense, but in the sense of going to a different environment and getting away from the front line of work and his public ministry. And if Jesus took holidays, then all of us need those moments of relaxation and a break. In the Old Testament, the provision for this was given by the weekly Sabbath, where work was strictly forbidden. It was a quiet, restful day. And also by the three religious festivals in the year, where people left their work and were invited to go up uh, in a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They didn't go on every occasion, but it provided a break. But now Jesus is indicating that it's good for him and his disciples to get out of the front line. He was away from Galilee. And even though it became known that he was around in this place in Phoenicia, uh, I'm sure he didn't experience the level of crowds uh, that he'd experienced in the recent past. We must remember that on one occasion, just before the feeding of the 5,000, the gospel writers tell us that they were so busy with so many people crowding in, they couldn't even find the time to eat. That's the sort of context we're talking about. And so taking a break from our main work in life and our main Christian ministries, if we're involved in those ministries, is a very important discipline. And if Jesus did it, then there's every reason why we should do it as well. Now, thinking about this woman, I would say that our desperation is often God's opportunity. He moves powerfully in people's lives when there is real desperation. And a very common theme of the Gospels, which is very noticeable to me as I'm working through the text very closely, looking at every incident, a very common theme is the sheer desperation of people who come to Jesus and the urgency and the persistence. I've commented on this in quite a number of other different contexts. And this is a very good example of this process. This woman was desperate and she was persistent. And sometimes God is looking for that urgency, that desperation, and that persistence. Jesus tested her faith by appearing to be uninterested and unconcerned and even a little rude to her. But he saw that she was not going to be put off and he very quickly rewarded her faith. Now, this reminds me that uh, Jesus teaches very explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer and he, he teaches similarly elsewhere. And we can't, of course, go to Jesus in person. Our access to Jesus is through the new covenant, the living, the new and living way into God's presence that Jesus has made open and the Holy Spirit ushers us in, leads us through prayer to draw close to him. And Jesus said very explicitly in Matthew 7, verse 7 onwards, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And he goes on to describe that sense of urgency implied in that. 
And so I draw from this story the lesson that God rewards urgency and persistence when seeking him for genuine human need and for the advance of the kingdom. And so that's something we can draw from the extraordinary story of this lady. You have great faith and your request is granted. Now, if she has great faith, that means she's also experiencing salvation herself. So this woman is entering into God's kingdom, even as she's pleading on behalf of somebody else. But this is also a prophetic event because it is clear and Jesus makes clear in this passage but it's clear from various parts of the New Testament that the primary ministry of Jesus is to the Jewish people in fact his whole missionary strategy is based on the fact he wants to saturate the land of Israel with kingdom proclamation that's why he saturated Galilee first of all with his own presence and then he sent the 12 around Galilee, as described in uh, Matthew 10. Then Luke 10 describes a bigger mission with 72 sent out, which includes the 12. And they were sent out as he was traveling further south towards uh, Jerusalem. And they traveled all the way through the country. Uh, and so Jesus is clearly focused on the Jewish people. But there are many hints in the Gospels, that this was only for a season. Go to the lost sheep of Israel for this season was really what Jesus was saying to his disciples. And that's what he was focusing on in Galilee. But we see very clearly that this gospel message is very shortly going to go to all the nations of the world. And many, many people of different nations are going to sit down uh, in the eternal banquet and in the end times and in the kingdom of God and in the messianic age and enjoy the presence of God uh, because they have had faith. And so in a similar situation with the centurion whose servant was healed, Jesus commented on the faith of the man. Uh, as I've just mentioned, I've not found, uh, found anyone in Israel with such great faith, Matthew 8 verse 10. But then he goes on to say, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's a prophetic trajectory here that some of the Jews, indeed many of the Jews, are going to fail to enter the kingdom because there's such a strong resistance to Jesus, which is building up at this very time. And the door is going to be opened up to the Gentiles. Now, the centurion in Matthew 8, the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 are just two examples of Gentiles we see emerging in the narrative, those who are uh, adopting faith in Jesus very early in the process and they are prophetic signs of the fact that the gospel is going to come to the Gentiles in a much fuller sense once the mission of the church is launched and in Acts 1 verse 8 Jesus said to his apostles that they were going to be witnesses not just in Jerusalem not just in Judea and Samaria 
but also to the ends of the earth. And here we see just an early example of salvation coming in that process. Now that's been going on for 2000 years now and it's affected me and it's affecting you, uh, whichever nation you come from, because this gospel is now thoroughly international. God's plan is to create a worldwide family of those who put their faith in Jesus. And this Canaanite woman was one of the first non-Jews to enter into that kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. I hope that her persistence and her faith and her ethnic origins will give encouragement to you because she had no particular significance as a person. She was a woman, not a man. She was a non-Jew, not a Jew. She didn't live in the nation of Israel. She didn't have any apparent privileges at all, but she found her way into the kingdom by seeing who Jesus was and following him with determination. And you and I can do just the same. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.